February is known as the month of love, but we're gonna talk about impossible love, times when it's really hard to love. Hey, it's Amber L.B. Swenson, wife, mother, worrier, overthinker, type A, holding on to God and his promises to get me through the day. Thanks for joining me to explore everyday issues from a biblical perspective so we can all know and love God more. Last week, we heard about love seems impossible when I'm called to love my enemies. So if you missed that, you might want to go back and listen to that. Today, I'm going to talk about love seems impossible when I'm called to love my spouse. Now, Hallmark and Instagram would have you think that marriage is nothing but bliss and a bed of roses. And for sure, that's part of the the picture. But there's also a lot of struggle and a lot of times when it feels like you're going in different directions or um, maybe you're even at the end of your marriage rope and you just really don't see how this is going to last. We're going to talk about three ideas, thoughts, um, motivations even for really working on your marriage and um, hopefully prayerfully getting it to a stronger place and for good reason. And we're going to talk about that. So reason number one or thought number one is that you need to remember to fight for each other, not against each other. It is so important that you remember you are on the same team, team family. Your spouse is not the enemy as much as you think they might be. And as as much as um, day to day, in and out, um, you can have very different goals and expectations. And I think that's that's one of the frustrations of marriage is that sometimes you wake up and you have your list of to-dos, right? You you have your expectations for the day, you have your goals, and then your spouse wakes up and, and they have just an absolute different set of goals and expectations. And it can be really frustrating. And you can feel like you're in two different worlds and not even close to being on the same team. So what do we want to do? Well, one of the things that has really helped me is to um, pray for the Lord to put my husband and and me on the same page um, so that we would really tackle things together. So I just pray, Lord, help us to really be on the same page when it comes to parenting, when it comes to what we want to do around the house, what, how we want to spend our time, how we want to spend our money. And then I let God work it out. And God is able to do what I can. He is the God of the impossible. That's what I always say is in my prayers, I'm like, Lord, you are the God of the impossible. So I'm coming to you and I'm asking you to put us on the same page when it comes to these things. And God has been so faithful to answer those prayers. I can't take the credit for the way that God has worked. Sometimes he changes my heart. Sometimes he changes my husband's heart. Um, but he, he works to keep us going in the same direction and, and to being on the same page. And there's a really um, important reason, especially if you are raising children, there is good reason to want to stay on the same page as your spouse. Families are at the heart of God, and for good reason. Malachi 2 tells us this. 
Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is a witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. God seeks godly offspring. And studies have actually shown that a committed relationship is huge in a child's life. So if they have a a father and the mother who are committed to each other and they they feel that security, it really goes a long ways in how they turn out. So there was a... um, There were two large studies in the U.S. and the U.K. following children growing up um, since the year 2000. Sarah McClanahan, the professor of sociology at Princeton University, oversaw the study, which was called the Fragile Families and Child Well-Being Study. So they took 5,000 children and parents, and... um, that were mostly in, parent, in families where the parents were not married. And they went to large cities to recruit these. So many of the parents had lower income levels or lower levels of education. There was a higher proportion of black or Hispanic American um, uh, people than you might have found, say, in a suburb. But this study showed I'm just going to read some of this. It's from uh, the reporting of this was in the BBC, February 5th, uh, 2019. And it said, in this research, even allowing for economic disadvantage, Professor McClanahan said, data began to show the impact of instability on a child's life. Those whose parents had divorced were more likely to fail to progress at school. Children who were in what researchers characterized as a fragile family, where parents were cohabitating or there was a lone parent, were twice as likely not to graduate from high school. Professor McClanahan said the data even showed that even a child in a stable single-parent household was likely to do worse on some measures than a child of a married couple. Having two adults who cooperate to raise the child, who give time and money, means there are just more resources than one doing it, she said. That's pretty much what God was saying. God really has the heart of children in mind with the idea of marriage and that stability that a good, solid marriage can provide, it it really does a lot for a child's life. And even secular studies show this. Um, This Sarah McClanahan was uh, divorced herself, and so she wasn't biased towards wanting to find these results. In fact, if anything, um, you would have thought that she was hoping to find a, a different result completely. But that should be reason right there to work at our families and to remember that our spouse is not the enemy. Our spouse is a is a sinful human being just like we are. 
but um, they are part of the team and they're a huge part of the team. So we want to make sure that we work hard to stay on the same page. These themes that we've been talking about this month, when love seems impossible, are themes that I explored in a novel I wrote called The Bread of Angels. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Megan Martins walked into the cosmetology school and straight into the path of Becky Ellingson, her husband's ex-girlfriend. 20 minutes later, Megan raced out of Hair Nation with half of her head highlighted and the reality that her husband was not who she thought he was. He had a son, a bank account, and jobs to provide child support, which she knew nothing about. Tragedy, controversy, and a new understanding of the human condition await Megan in the tiny town of Ornoco, Minnesota. But so do adventure, hope, and witty friends who bring meaning back to her life. To get a copy of The Bread of Angels, check out our episode notes where you'll find a link or go to amberlbswenson.com. Number two, thought to remember, is that a strong marriage isn't two people being strong at the time. It's two people taking turns being strong for each other. That was a meme I found online, and I couldn't agree with that more. In fact, Solomon wrote the same thing in Ecclesiastes 4. He said, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And of course, the three in that last verse is the husband, the wife, and God. Um, that makes a very strong, solid cord. I've often said that together, uh, my husband and I make one complete, coherent person. So, you know, He's a physics guy. I'm an organizer. He loses track of time. I'm a clock watcher. I'm a type A. He's laid back. Um, I like to schedule and plan, and he likes to just impulsively say, let's do this today. And, you know, we need both. It, it's such a complementary system when you when you marry someone. So often you marry someone who has very different strengths than you do. And they cover for your weaknesses and you cover for their weaknesses. And, and that's the beauty of it. Now, we get into trouble when we call the other person out and, and think they're dumb or less than because they don't have the same strengths as we have. Um, or if we you know, get down on them when they're not feeling super productive. You know, we all have those days that we just don't feel right or don't feel like, you know, the light's totally on in the head and you you just aren't, you know, getting much done or aren't able to really put your best foot forward. And that's when it's such a blessing when the other person can step in and take over and be strong for you or, um, be strong for the family. And you know, there are just so many things with raising kids. It's just so hard with yard projects, house maintenance, um, even little things like keeping light bulbs changed, or the car running well, or, you know, just all these things that tire you out or wear you down or have the potential to really overwhelm you. But when there's someone to share the list with, it's 
such a huge thing. So it's important to not um, berate the other person for not being you. (laughs) It's important to celebrate the differences that each person brings to the marriage and to be okay with that and to just work through that. Number three, Ashley McLean said, no one should come between you and your spouse. They should come alongside of you, but not between you. And again, this goes back right back to Genesis 2 that said, you know, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And Jesus added to that in um, Mark when he said, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You know, you have to work to keep that true. I mean, parents, children, jobs, friends, so many things can separate you from each other. And it's going to be through work that you don't allow that to happen. It's going to be setting boundaries and saying, you know, this much we can do, but we can't do it all. And uh, we can help out here, but we can't help out there. Or, you know, allowing so much time for friends, but not having that be, you know, spending so much time with your friends that your family is suffering. And, you know, of course, there are seasons of life. When you have a newborn, the marriage is probably going to take a backseat for a time. Uh, When you're taking care of elderly parents, the marriage is going to take a backseat for a time. Uh, When there are emergencies, of course, you know, the marriage is going to take a backseat for a time. But long term, that is not a good plan. Just like a car or just like your house or um, anything you want to run smoothly is going to need maintenance and it's going to need work. And in order to really have it running to its full potential, and that's what we want with our marriages. So we really want to remember that, you know, while it's so good to have Christian and godly parents in your life, once you're married, you're a family unit. And so you sort of need to keep a little bit of a boundary there so you don't drive your spouse crazy. If you're always listening to your parents and what they say you should do and ignoring your spouse, you're going to run into trouble. And if you always listen to your friends and what they say you should do instead of your spouse, you're going to run into trouble. And that's why it's so important to have that maintenance and to put that time into your marriage so that you are... Um, you know, coming together and saying, well, my parents suggested maybe we do this or my friends suggested maybe we should do this. But what do you think? What What do you think is the best course for our family? Because your opinion is really what matters the most to me. So uh, having that time together, and I would say even more, man, having time in the word and prayer. Uh, if you can do a, a, a devotion with your spouse at night, it is one of the sweetest things ever. One devotion that uh, we really have fallen in love with is Charles Spurgeon's morning and evening devotions. And, um, you know, our kids come in from time to time and we are in bed doing our devotions together and, and they know that. And that time of devotions and then talking about what the devotion was saying And then prayer time, uh, sharing what's on your heart. 
can really work to not let anything come in between your marriage. And I know if anyone knows how hard that can be, my family knows that. My husband works as an RN and he's got these crazy hours. He works days, nights, 12-hour shifts, weekends, holidays, you know, whatever. And so I, I am not telling you that we have seven days a week of devotions at night. That's rare, if at all. But, you know, three nights a week of devotions is great. Or if you haven't done it for three months, picking it back up again. Finding a good uh, devotion book for Easter or Lent or Christmas or uh, for the summertime or or whatever it is. I mean, that, that can really really help to keep you guys on the same page and to really uh, strengthen your marriage and and keep it running and working as smoothly as it should. So hopefully these are little suggestions. Know for a fact that uh, loving your spouse is not impossible. It's certainly hard, but again, this is at the heart of God. This is something that is really important to him. Families are a basic foundation for society. And when you have that um, strong family where you can raise strong children who know the Lord, who are firmly rooted in God and His ways, uh, that is going to affect them for the rest of their life. And hopefully they are going to go on to do the same and to have those strong families, which become strong members of communities, strong members of church bodies. Uh, strong members of our cities and our towns and our states and our nation. And and that's, that's the blessing right there is when it's not just your home that is experiencing the blessing and the fruit of this, but the community at large. This has been little things because in God's kingdom, the little things are the big things. Next week, we're going to continue our series on Love Seems Impossible by talking about loving ourselves. Men and women both really struggle with the idea of body image. A lot of us, in fact, the majority of those polled said they really don't care for the way their body looks. We don't match up with what we see in magazines or on TV. But sometimes it's our health that keeps us from feeling that we have value because we're struggling with some health issue. Or maybe it's because we aren't where we thought we would be by now, either professionally or with our relationships. And maybe it's shame from things that we've done in our past that really keeps us from having the freedom to love ourselves the way God loves us. I hope you'll join me next week for Little Things. Would you consider rating and reviewing this podcast? And don't forget, we really crave your prayers. Those prayers are what push us forward. And continue to help us to work in the kingdom of God.